When you partner with Axon, you immediately gain access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. We carry all major brands and sizes of tires and wheels. We specialize in large diameter wheels for large equipment. We have one of the largest OEM replacement wheel inventories in North America. Known for extreme flotation setups, duals, and triples, we have wheels for all makes and models of tractors, sprayers, combines, and grain carts. If we don't have the wheel in stock, we'll custom build, sandblast, and paint in-house. There isn't a more vast inventory in North America dedicated to helping dealers move more iron. With facilities on the West Coast and in the heart of the Midwest, leverage our 230,000 square feet of indoor inventory to solve any problem a grower may have. Move more iron with Axon. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by these great sponsors. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online to agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 330. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire. Helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Axon Tire would like to give all the loyal listeners of the Moving Iron Podcast a free alliance flashlight and a free alliance baseball cap. If you like those, send an email to marketing at axontire.com and they will make sure to get that to you in the mail. Uh, also, if you're planning on attending the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, Axon Tire is going to cover the first $50 of your registration fee for the first 150 people. So check that out, too. If you're interested in doing that, you can register at movingironllc.com or you can send an email to me at movingironpodcast, movingironpodcast.com, and I'll get you taken care of. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 800- 657-4910 for all your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. Powered by Farm Credit, Ag Direct is built for today's agriculture with simple application, quick response, competitive rates, and generous, flexible in terms. Ag Direct offers buy, lease, and refinance options for almost all types of new and used equipment, non-recourse, and timely funding back to dealerships, plus sales incentives. No other ag equipment lender works like AgDirect. Learn more by calling your AgDirect territory manager at 888 
525-9805 or visit us at agdirect.com. Tractor Zoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. Tractor Zoom is Iron Commerce is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and optional pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. Create connected customer experience to transform how you work today. I have got Rich Possum back on here uh, talking about what's going on in the economy. Rich, how you been, man? Very good. Thank you. So I've had some news come out here since the last time we talked. We had, uh, obviously, the the Fed met and, and decided what they're going to do there. And and then you had a very interesting statement from from uh, Jay Powell when he came out. I think it was yesterday I read, and I'm, I'm grossly paraphrasing this, so bear with me here. But Basically, he said with the strength of the work, uh, with the uh, with strength of the economy when it comes to employment, and how that was all playing out, that this inflation issue is going to be a lot harder to tame than they than they originally thought. And now, of course, I'm paraphrasing that. So, I guess, Rich, as you're looking at that at that statement from Powell, what you've seen the the Fed do, where they've made some they've made some you know uh, points. To state that, yeah, we're going to lower the 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 rate that we're raising rates, slow that down a little bit, but we're, we're not dropping rates anytime soon. That statement to me makes it sound like they're going to maybe go back to saying instead of being quarter percent raises, maybe we need to be looking at half and three quarters again. They may, and again, it just depends the pace of inflation declining and whether or not they want to get nervous over. Uh, the, the strong jobs report. Um, the jobs market is just fantastic for employees. Okay, um, we've seen good wage increases that appears to be peaking and, and, and calming down a bit. I think the Fed likes that, but the number of available jobs concerns them that the economy is still running too strong, too hot, and can lead to uh, supporting inflation. But I was. I really like what Paul said last week when they raised quarter of a point. He could have come out afterwards and really declared war yet again on inflation. And he really didn't say that. And the stock market liked it. The stock market moved higher. Yesterday, we saw some wild price action in the stock market. Powell was giving a speech. Um, I forget where. It was like some kind of conference or something. And he came out and he said, yes, the strong jobs does suggest that they'd have to continue to raise interest rates for a while and does suggest that even if they stop raising, it's going to be quite a while before they drop them. But that's about all he said. He didn't really imply they're just going to pound away at inflation or I'm sorry, at interest rates, shoving them higher. And the market really liked it. While he was talking, the market exploded in a matter of minutes. I mean, it moved up as much as what used to take a couple of days. And the computers just basically kicked in. The day traders, they just stumbled all over. So I couldn't believe it. I was watching the quotes, and it just kept going higher and higher and higher. Well, then they calmed down, and they brought it all the way back down with the realization that what he was saying is we're probably still going to raise rates. However, by the end of the day, even though they brought it all the way down, and that scares people when they see that. If it goes straight up, straight down in a single day, they call that a sign of weakness, actually, even though there was good buying earlier. And they get nervous or something breaking down in the market. However, going into the close, the market went all the way back up yet again. So just a very wild zigzag market. And we got decent volume for the day. Decent demand is how my model summarizes it. 
So I think you had all that wild, crazy trading up and down during the day. But by the end of the day, I think you actually had long-term investors coming in there saying, we'll take some stocks. And why is that? I think the long-term investor is starting to realize they need to be less concerned of what Powell says uh, because Powell, his speeches actually impact the market more than raising interest rates. And I think there's a decoupling going on where people are saying, we got to worry less over inflation. We got to worry less over interest rates and focus on the idea, strong jobs. Uh, what is it? You know, thousands of new businesses being launched. Uh, businesses that have been in business for a while, making good money. Yes, some of the profit margins are eroding, but good money. And I think they're just realizing stocks are a little on the cheap side, at least. They're, they need to catch up. It's like a weight needs to be taken off and allow the market uh, to bounce back up some. So I was very pleased with how the market's handling it. However, on the interest rate side, we did see <clears throat> interest rates up at first in the day, and they sold stocks. Then the interest rates started to ease back. And my model was saying there should have been an easing back and it was right. But by the end of the day, they put the interest rate back up, but then they also bought the stock. So there was some of that decoupling I just spoke of. Um, I think interest rates probably will work higher into next week on a very short-term basis. The question is, will they really ram them up? I don't think they will. If they do, it's going to bother the stock market. If they don't, I think the stock market's saying, look, the Federal Reserve isn't going to raise to late March again. And I think the stock market is betting to only raise it a quarter point. But uh, Powell warned that he thinks inflation, interest rates, everything's going to have bumps in the road. And he's, he's just saying this could be a long, drawn-out process yet. And if we do get a bounce in inflation, and I was a little concerned in recent days that some of these daily calculations people are doing, inflation was starting to move, uh, that the inflation was moving up. Uh, this morning, it looks like it's starting back down again. But uh, I don't doubt <clears throat> for the rest of this year, we can have scares where inflation suddenly uh, picks up its head and, and interest rates then move higher, the dollar index moves higher, and the stocks move lower. But um, I think we're in some kind of transitioning where the bear market in the stocks was over last year. I'm bullish this year. Uh, I think we're going to have a good up year. Uh, but I think there's going to be scares along the way. And it's, it always fluctuates day to day anyways. We're still going to get that. And uh, and I don't doubt that we can see pops at times of inflation. But for the moment, it does look like the trend is down. And at least Powell last week and yesterday said, and he hasn't said this yet since we started this whole war on inflation. He just said there's evidence we're winning on inflation. And that is that's encouraging some people, at least over in uh, in the stock market. And uh, and I, th I think if you look at the economy where we're going here, uh, I just call it a bottom in the Eurozone economy. Now, that's off my favorite indicator. And sometimes that indicator has to move up before you really see the evidence of the economy doing better. But and I could be premature. There's risk of being early yet. But I think the U.S. is the next one that's uh, going to recover in, in other pockets of the world. And I was just over in Portugal and very impressed with how business was going and with the people, and uh, the level of education, how well they spoke English. I've never been in a country that had so many people speaking English and they can speak it just, just as well as their own language. But it gave me a clue that I'm on the right track here for Europe. Uh, the Russia-Ukraine thing's still going to be a... A problem at times, I think, but hopefully it'll be resolved this year. But I would say, in general, Eurozone economies <coughs> move forward, even with the Russia-Ukraine um, thing causing some complications here. 
Yeah. Uh, so to me, I look at U.S. exports, imports. The dollar has been beaten up well, and I think it's going to stay down. I don't think it's going to be able to move up in a sustainable manner for a long period of time for a while yet. And I think it's going to boost our exports here. Not by huge amounts. Uh, it is possible the first half of this year things improve, but it's kind of like a slow curve up and then things speed up later in the year. Uh, that's how I view China too. It may be a slow start, but I have a, but it, I have a question about that real quick. So yeah. yesterday I was reading an article about getting ready to, when I was talking to, to Sean Hackett and, and one of the articles I read about was how China and uh, Brazil were going to have a clearing, uh, export clearing in the, yuan, in the yuan. So looking at that, I mean, they're saying like, okay, we don't even have to worry about pegging this to the dollar, changing money in dollars. Now we're both going to agree that I'll, I'll take your reals, you take my yuan, and we'll, we'll, we'll work this out together like that. So that was my question about the dollar is, I mean, you, you've heard about this whole baskets of currency thing and when it comes to buying oil and everything else, I mean, for years, and that's just something we're starting to see. Um, I, I mean, hit on the dollar a little bit more there and, and your thoughts there this this obviously this would be great as the dollar if it devalues a little bit goes down to value a little bit our exports are gonna really have a have a very competitive um situation in the marketplace but i guess that kind of scares me a little bit when i start hearing countries do stuff like that <laughs> yes and it's something we're gonna deal with for the rest of the century here is i think uh you got china and a couple other countries are doing their best to uh get a bigger piece for their currency do keep in mind the brazil china uh relationship here china's currency is pegged to the u.s dollar but it's there is a range to it it's 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 not a perfect thing and they can monitor it, modify it. <clears throat> but I think it was an easy decision for Brazil and China to say, uh, and I'm sure China pressured them on this uh, because they want their yuan being used around the world. They want to gain more power in, in that aspect or perspective. Um, but really, uh, if you're dealing with a yuan, you're almost dealing with a dollar. Okay. So I don't know if that's a sign of a major shift away from the dollar in terms of impacting what our products are worth right. and the same for Brazil even because there's still that connection between China and the U S <clears throat> however, um, you know, and I think we've discussed this in the past. I, I do think when I look out like a hundred years, I, I think the dollar will become less popular around the world, but unlike some people think it's going to happen any day now, and it's just going to be this massive drop and the dollar, I, I don't see that, and history doesn't show evidence of well, that. There's too much of an unraveling there to make that happen overnight. Yeah, it's uh, and then you know, it's just people who you can just see they want to trade in the U.S. dollar. I mean, it's right. a huge. I mean, I used to work for some of the biggest grain companies in the world, uh, sitting next to all their import export traders. The interesting thing is we seldom actually talked about the dollar. I talked about the dollar more than they did on my morning comments of where I thought markets were going. And um, But the point is, it's like, in the end, everything gets priced by dollars. So you you got a lot of work to accomplish that. Uh, evidence that maybe that's working and a problem would be the dollar index, which is um, still over 100. So you got to bring it down. I think you got to bring it down to like 75, which we haven't seen in decades. It's been a very rare thing. You get the dollar down to 75, I think that sends a message. Not only we have problems, 
but the world is also changing where it just doesn't need our dollar. And then that's going to create problems for future generations because we won't be able to print uh, money so easily. Right. And uh, but I think I, I think we're long ways away from getting to that. But I do think we're on a trend towards that. So I fully understand why people do get concerned about it, and and they're discussing that. So. So before we started the podcast, we we're talking a little bit about interest rates and and with you being um, pretty heavy into real estate up there in in uh, in New York, uh, you kind of looking around, Rich. What are you seeing as far as how real estate's going? What are you seeing from a national perspective? How are you seeing interest rates inflect? We did see a dip in interest rates here. Um, oh, what was that last week? Whatever it was, dropped below uh, down in like the low six or something like that to the fives, um, and it hadn't been there in whatever, three or four months or something like that. So I guess looking at, at those situations and in that scenario that I just laid out there, Rich, what are you seeing in that? How do you see interest rates affecting that? And do you see, cause I'm still watching, you know, land in Iowa sell for 20 grand an acre, you know, or more, you know? <clears throat> so it doesn't seem like that's hesitating anyone from, from jumping in the game. We're still selling houses and stuff like that. Nowhere near as fast as it used to be by any means, but I guess so. Looking at all those things, Rich, what are your thoughts on the real estate market and and how is interest rates impacting that? Yeah, locally, I would say interest rates really haven't caused any significant change. We definitely see things have slowed down. There's less transactions. There's less deals being done. More so over than the houses than land. And and on my end of the real estate thing, I concentrate more on land and and farms and recreational properties. but even though we're not seeing a major impact, there's definitely brokers out there tell me, that, man, it's really slowed down. Over the past two years, they had to work seven days a week. They just did not dare stop. It was that brisk. And some of them haven't done much of anything in the last 30 days that they've spent yeah. the most, most time sitting at their home office than in a long while. So you see that, but yet prices really haven't come down much here. We're still getting deals done, there's increasing discussion of interest rates. However, when I look at the national numbers, the whole bull move over the past two years, it's over and prices are coming down. Sales are off and uh, definitely the interest rate inflation thing really, really hit the market. But you also see from week to week, you get this pockets just like interest rates dipped last week and suddenly, hey, 18% more mortgages done. Yeah, And so people are watching the rates or hoping to lock in a rate so they can go ahead and purchase and this and that. And we're just adjusting to these higher rates. Like if anybody says, well, I'm waiting for mortgage to go down to 2%. Well, good luck with that. Okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that ship has sailed. It's over. Okay. The whole 40 year downtrend of interest rates is over and it may go up for the next 40 years for all I know. I think it's only going to be up for 20 years, but, and I don't think it's going to be anything like, like what we saw in the, in the seventies of uh, very high interest rates. But I do think, uh, things can work higher in coming years on interest rates and uh, inflation can be somewhat elevated. I don't want to scare people. I don't think it's going to be anything like the 1970s. But um, at the same time, you can see things have changed. Uh, and we're doing things differently what we've done over the last 20 uh, to 40 years here. Uh, but what did we do in the 1970s? I mean, my dad, he, he ran a real estate business for 60 years. He still sold plenty of farms in the 1970s, even with the very high inflation and very poor margins at the time, even though we were selling milk at record prices, the, the input costs were so high, we really weren't making any more money. But at the same time, and the same thing in the beef market, the grain markets, the business got done anyways. The wheels of commerce uh, continued to turn. 
And that's what we have to recognize that these higher interest rates aren't really a sign things are going to crash and burn, fall apart uh, by no means. And people are going to learn to pay these five or six to seven percent mortgages. Locally here, we've we've heard of mortgages going as high as eleven percent, but yes, they have uh, backed off here in uh, recent uh, recent days here. So I think things calm down here uh, moving forward. But uh, yeah, it's it's not going all the way back down in interest rates until maybe at the end of this decade when I'm still forecasting uh, what I call a primary cyclical recession, and I think land prices take a hit. I think commodities take a hit. I think everything takes a hit. It's just debatable. Is it rather moderate or is it serious? And the model showing, boy, it can be all of that. Okay. It can be anything. It can be severe and yet we might coast through it fairly well, but it is something to be concerned of later this decade. But right today, I realize some people aren't used to this kind of news we've had here in the past couple of years. And and the high inflation and rates, and I'm, I'm sure they're worried about the future, but my modeling is saying we've done this again and again and again and again. Life went on anyways, the stock market went up anyways, and the economy grew anyways. And I, I think we're going to see the same thing. Yeah, you know, I made that comment the other day in the meeting. We were talking about something, and and we were like, how are we going to how are we going to combat this, this you know, change in uh, interest rates and buying culture and those kind of things and what how are we going to get stuff back the way it was and and the, the comment i make was you know time is how we're going to handle that because this time you know in six months from now when we're having the conversation about um you know seven percent interest rates or whatever it is i think the the shock factor of that will be a way because that's just what we're doing now you know and i think that's going to have a bigger play in the economy than than lowering of the of the interest rates it's just it went it moves so quick, so fast that, um, you know, went from you go get a, a house loan for, I think my house loan, I have like 2.75% or something like that. And I bought a house four years ago, three years ago, something like that to where now I go buy a house today and I, I don't even know what it is. I haven't even followed interest rates, what they are, but they're five and a half to six and a half percent depending on what, what it is and what you're looking at. So that's a huge amount of money where the housing market was propped up by the fact that, well, now, I mean, you can pay this extra amount for the house because you're only paying, you know, 1.9 to 2.5, 2.7% interest. Well, now you have to, that amount of interest that you're paying on that note starts to affect your your, your payment in a big way. So people are now taking a step back and taking a look at like, well, I can't afford a $350,000 house, $400,000 house. Now I can afford a $250,000 house. Yeah. I think that's having a, that shock factor is having a bigger effect on there. The people that you're talking to when you're talking the customers that you're dealing with, how much is that coming into into the into the conversation? And, and do you hear people kind of talking about that in the background? Little, little uh, locally. Really? It, it is fascinating. It hasn't hit there yet. But again, we're dealing more with lands and farms that always takes longer to sell it. It's not a fast market, anyways. Right. Uh, but I'm hearing from brokers who focus more on housing. And like I say, they have, they've really slowed down. And uh, uh, But it seems to be outside of our areas where there's a greater discussion of that. And <laughs> going down to New York City, you have places that were selling for three, four, five million. They're selling for one or two million. I mean, it's that big of a drop uh, because, uh, yeah, people, you know, it, it happens so fast overnight. And you go in to see the banker and the banker says, okay, this will be your payment. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> That's for sure. Not so sure that fits with my monthly budget, and uh, yeah. 
And 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 the market's going to respond. It is respond to that. Now, you can definitely see as a nation we're backing prices off to try to compensate, uh, offset, counter uh, this rush up in um, interest rates. But at the same time, if people are thinking, boy, this is just going to be bad for a long time, um, history doesn't really show that. Eventually, somehow, <laughs> we get the right price level of the house to match that 5 or 6%, right? Mm-hmm. And if we are making good money on our job or even hopefully getting a pay raise or something, uh, you become more comfortable. And if the stock market goes up, it's fascinating. It changes people's attitude where, uh, all right, I guess I can pay that uh, now, you know? Yeah. And uh, so uh, we'll get through this. This is why I see the negative factors. I understand why there's people out there who think everything's just going to crash and burn any moment. But uh, if you look at the history, their their timing is off. And I think my timing is right. That uh, right. life goes on. <laughs> so yep. we'll get there. Yep. All right. So looking at the uh, jobs report came out last week and you, you had some, some a really big shock there in the amount from what the uh, – but the market thought they'd see, and you saw a big move there. And as far as what that looks like, jobs showed up. More jobs showed up than what they thought, but still the uh, the the wage. Um, I don't know what that's called, but the wage differentiation between you know how inflation's gone up compared to how wages have gone up uh-huh. still has pretty much stayed the same. So taking a look at at those two factors there, where more jobs popped up than we thought, uh, but the wage to to in inflation ratio, whatever that's called, um, is is actually going backwards a little bit. So I guess, how, how do you think that affects the economy? And and, and what are your thoughts there? <clears throat> yeah. So even people have got have seen some wage increases. Some of them will say, but I'm still behind for what I'm spending at the store. Okay, and I get that, um, but I don't think it's for everyone. Okay, it depends on who you're talking to, where do they live. How much are they getting paid? What what are the class of society they in? Um, overall, I think we're going to see uh, that kind of balance out as inflation keeps coming down. Pretty soon, people are saying, "Well, I can breathe a little easier." And the thing is, those who got the higher wage increases and those who got a new job, but the job had to bid up more than normal to get it, so they got their new job. But they also got the pay increase. Uh, those pay increases don't come down immediately just because inflation comes down. They normally don't come down at all. Right. And so the company's locked in. So down the road, as inflation eases, people will get used to to uh, current prices and they got that new pay thing. So over time, it just doesn't, uh, psychological ways, it doesn't bother them as much as it did. Today, it bothers them when you're looking at the wages and uh and the price increase. But I must say, even as I travel around the country and now that I visited in another country, uh, even in Portugal, they were talking about the concerns of where's inflation going, costs going, and yet their food was cheaper than ours. And yet Europe supposedly has always been more expensive than us. And just I just didn't see any evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just think we're probably going to hit a moment here where the consumer is is going to be more comfortable what what has occurred to them at the store as well as what they're getting here for increased pay. Now, what's bothersome to like someone like the Fed is they don't want to see this increased pay just hang in there. The people just right. keep getting raises after raises after raises. Then it turns into like 1970s and, and, and nobody really wins in that scenario. But I would say how I look at the average hourly increase here in these recent reports, there is evidence that's coming down that the companies are being cautious. How much more do they really want to pay? How often do they want to get pay raises? I think that's I think that's making the Fed feel a little more comfortable. 
But at the same time, we still have the strong jobs. Now, we may see there's already some discussion in some of my circle here of all the people I have, I'm affiliated with this morning. Uh, uh, all of a sudden, a surge of discussion that we may see some adjustment in this job numbers. There can be some seasonal factors that occurred there. It, it won't take away all of the big surge in jobs. And, and, and by the way, the, the analysts and economists, they really got it wrong. I mean, it was a huge report. It was just a ton of jobs coming in. But we may see that's going to be adjusted lower uh, here in coming uh, months or even the next couple of quarters even. Uh, it might have been a little bit of fuzzy stuff going on there uh, that can occur, just the math and how things are reported and the time of year. But it's not going to take it all away. I mean, the bottom line is there's plenty of jobs out there. And this is like, I think the Fed's changing its attitude, not going to beat us up too much here from this rising interest rates. But I hope they don't get so obsessed with the strong available jobs, which is called the JOLTS report. We're back up to 11 million jobs available in theory. Uh, sometimes they think a lot of those jobs aren't really there. Companies just put them out and go fishing and this and that. And, uh, and of course, some of those jobs are so low paid, nobody's going to take them anyways. Uh, but the numbers there, it's strong. But I hope the Fed does recognize the fact that we've seen people take early retirement like never before. <clears throat> and the virus uh, pandemic should change people's attitudes. You know, hey, uh, I just soon <laughs> be retired and not show up to work where I'm going to catch something's going to kill me. So, um, and then that may be an oversimplification there, but uh i you know granted some of those people are what's that thank you that far off <laughs> some of those people are coming back to the workforce because they're learning they don't like unemployment or um, uh, yeah being uh retired but and some of them also learn well the stock market just went down and kind of beat up my retirement and things aren't quite the way i i thought but overall it, it, this is normal anyways the baby boomer is one of the biggest uh populations per generation they're old enough to retire, you know? And so it's going to happen anyways. I think that's going to keep the labor market tight for years, okay, for the next couple of decades. Fed's going to have to learn to adjust to that. And I think maybe they are, but that is something that could go wrong for myself on some of my optimistic forecast here that if they decide we got to knock that jobs down a huge amount, no, they should only knock it down a little bit. And uh so we'll see. I think the Fed still stops around five, five and a quarter percent. One of them yesterday come out and said he thinks 5.4. I don't know if the market really wants to see that, uh, but it's something to think about. And by the way, today we're probably going to have at least three Fed members, maybe five coming out and talking today. So we'll see if they want to be a little more negative than uh and what Powell showed us, because Powell was interesting. I mean, he was basically saying the same story. We're going to keep raising interest rates. We're going to keep working on this. But unlike all the other times, he said, but well, we've accomplished a lot. It, it, yeah. is, it is working. And for me, that's what I wanted to hear, even though it's not everything I wanted to hear. And we do have a ways to go. And, and I follow a daily inflation called Trueflation. I think it's actually app, trueflation.com. And true is just T R U. They put a, they put out a daily inflation number, and I think it's pretty good. It's it's now more important than a lot of my other sources here. Um, but it did make me nervous last couple of weeks. It's like it stopped going down, and uh, so I think in March when we get February's inflation number, we might be a little disappointed it's not dropping fast enough. But the trend is still down, 
And, and it did turn down this morning at least quite a bit. So maybe we're okay. Um, but I think uh, next week on Tuesday, we're going to get the uh, January inflation number. And I'm hopeful it's 5.9, but I don't consider myself a good forecaster where that number goes. Uh, it is tricky. Uh, yeah. I think if it comes in at 6.2, the market's not going to like it. Uh, I don't know as the market knows what to do with a 6.1. 6, I think it's probably okay. Um, and if it ever came under, under below 5.9, stock market's going to jump. And uh, But we'll see. I'm not concerned whether I'm accurate on that. It's just uh, another input here. Right. And uh, it's going to take a while. I agree that, um, you know, some people want 2% inflation before the end of the year. And some of them truly believe we're headed there because they got things saying government is so far behind on this. It's much lower than everybody thinks. I don't know if I really buy into that, though. And I could see 2% is going to take us next year, maybe the early part of the following year. That, that could be a pretty slow decline. But as long as it's just eroding, I think it's just like unemployment when I teach people how to be cautious how they view unemployment to the stock market. Uh, once a decade, we explode unemployment. We have a recession. It's the end of the world. And then we wake up. No, it isn't. And we go back to work. And we start adding jobs, but we add jobs yeah. slowly. It, right. it, it might take it eight years to get down to where it started from, right? For And I'm talking on the percent unemployment. Um, this time is different. That virus pandemic really set up something different where we're already back to the lowest in 50 or 60 years or something like that for, for unemployment. And it makes it tricky where we're going. But in general, if you looked at unemployment, yes, it eroded for eight years. And guess what? The stock market went up for eight years. I'm kind of thinking the same thing in inflation. Even if it's coming down slower than we want, as long as it's going down, even if it takes it three years to get to where everybody wants, I think we're going to find the stock market went up there in those three years. I may yeah. be wrong, but <laughs> that's how I'm approaching it. Right. Yep. Okay. Last question here. So when you're looking at um, <clears throat> all the stuff that we see happening with uh, what's going on with uh, grain, with the way stocks are, Indian stocks are with grain around the world, see a pretty big crop coming out of Brazil. Um you got the stuff still going on in Russia, Ukraine. If that's if they said had a ceasefire tomorrow, it's twenty years before any of that stuff gets calmed down because there's still going to be pockets of this, that, and the other thing that are going to be popping off here and there. Um, taking a look at some of the projections that, that Sean Hackett's talked about going into twenty three, where we're looking at some at some pretty serious um, drought, possible drought issues that we could see happen, where the El Nino hasn't quite flipped over to. Uh, our El La Nina hasn't flipped over to El Nino yet, and and various other things that come into play. Um, I guess as you look at your at your models for for grains, what are your thoughts there, and, and how do you see what's your prediction? I guess going into twenty three for how how grain market might might look. Move yeah, I, I think we're I think things are still tight enough. Some people say not, but I I just feel like it's still tight enough. More so soybeans than corn wheat. But I'm lumping all three in the same basket that I think you get a seasonal up move in prices. Normally, grain prices fall from uh, May, June, July into October. And then they normally climb back into June, July. Okay, I think we're, we're setting up for that just by looking at that study alone. But as I throw these business cycles in where things get more emotional, uh, how much are people going to really pay for things? It's also saying we got a chance to move these prices higher into summer. And when I, when I throw in the climate model and the droughts and the crop problems, 
uh, the bedding cycles are saying you definitely have to leave the door open. We have a crop problem and get even a better bull run into summer. Problem is the climate model is saying, well, it can actually happen this year. It can happen next year. And as I look at the prices, what's the market thinking? The market already knows that. <laughs> I think the market feels something's coming, but it's not sure what year it's that it's coming. Okay. And so I think people are going to err on the side. Okay, let's assume a little better prices in the summer. We get the crop problem on top and prices explode. If we're already in, hey, we, we make an extra buck out of it. And so I'm not so sure we have aggressive people in this market uh, betting on uh, a crop problem this year. I think they just realize the possibilities. Yeah. And to me, we just we do have to keep an eye on La Nina. If La Nina goes away, it's unlikely we'll have a significant drop uh, in yield. And I would have to assume it's probably going to be uh, next year. And uh, and that's a dilemma I have. It's, it's either this year or next. And I'm, I'm going to be flipping back and forth probably every week here on it. Uh, I, I just have to leave the door open that it can occur this year, but I'm not so sure I see everything I want. Uh, even in the western half of the U.S., it's been drought for a long time and very unusual. I haven't seen anything like that in my lifetime. However, in the last two or three weeks, we can see pockets through the center of the western half where it's suddenly no drought, it's back to normal already. Uh, so that may be a sign it's just not coming this week or this year, I mean, but uh, again, I'm, I'm going to err on the side of giving it a chance because I look at the soybeans. Granted, Brazil's probably going to produce a lot of beans, but Argentina just got hammered, okay? They got damage. It's not coming uh, back. Uh, Brazil will probably open up, or I'm sorry, China will open up here this year, but I'm not so sure they have to step up to the plate right away and buy huge amounts. Uh, so that's a tricky one. So you get this little bit of a mixed picture beyond balance. It still looks like strong enough demand to support these uh, prices in the summer. And it's just that gamble uh, of adding a crop problem or not on top of that. And, uh, right on. All right, Rich. Well, talk a little bit about your podcast because the stuff you're talking about here, you talk about on that podcast and, and way more in depth than what we, what we hit here. So Talk about what your podcast is and where they can find it. Yeah, so I, I put out morning briefs where they're audio or video, and I try to keep them five minutes audio, 10 minutes uh, video. Uh, twice a week, uh, there's definitely video instead of uh, of any kind of audio. And one of those is my weekly update, which can get long. It can go 30 or 40 minutes, say, for the grains, and, and then it can go 30 or 40 minutes for stock market. But I have, I have a, a separate service. Well, it's all one service that you pay for. But it gives you uh, audios and videos on the stock market model, including interest rates, uh, gold, crude oil, the economy, dollar, a variety of things. But the primary focus is on the stock market because that's where most of my people are interested in trying to make money. And then, and then businesses like it just because they want to hear what I have to say on the economy and where business is going. And then there's the grains. Uh, that's basically just corn, wheat, and soybeans. I keep it pretty simple these days. I used to study 30 commodities, but over the 20 or 30 dec uh, years of doing this, uh, yeah. kind of swung to uh, simplifying that. And uh, so the service, they can, they can go to criticalpointpod.com and they'll find about myself, the models, and then there's some links to go see some of these videos and audios uh, and to subscribe uh, to the service there. And 
And that's the gist of it. And like I say, uh, some people focus just on the weekly updates and others, they like to check in on the morning. And I always tell people if they're concerned, too much information's coming in, focus on the weekly. But if they ever see anything that I put up that it says alert <laughs> and it's a market they're interested in, they better they better take a look at it. And it may be a signal that's just short term and they don't care, but it may be something quite important. Right. And, and how my model works, it basically labels and catalogs all price fluctuation from intraday all the way to years. And it's just updating us throughout the year. It basically gives us an idea how the market's fluctuating throughout the year. And uh, once you've seen it, followed it for a while, you say to yourself, gosh, we, you know, we have to keep this to give us an idea. Because sometimes you'll see a signal from someone and you'll later say, you know, I, I didn't really need to do that. And you may recognize that saying the signal I give you isn't that important. But if you follow it anyways and see that it actually worked, then when you get the signal you need for your business or your investment or your retirement portfolio, uh, it's going to give you greater confidence to say, best take that signal. So, yeah. uh, yep. Right on. Well, Rich, I appreciate you being on the podcast, man. I love it when you come on your wealth of information and, and, uh, you, you give the, uh, the contrarian thought process to what I hear every, all I hear on the news anymore is that we're, we're on the verge of death here and, and, uh, might as well start eating pork and beans. Cause that's about what, that's what we're going to be doing. I see it too, and it doesn't make it easy on me, but I've also done this for probably nearly 40 years now in the markets, and a lot of my things have been tested for the entire history of this country, and I just realized some of those people, they really can't be right until they get in alignment with these business cycles, so people are thinking stock market 40 or 50, 70% down. There's like almost 0% probability in the next few years. That, However, right. <laughs> near, the, near the end of this decade, we need to have a discussion where they may be right, and hopefully I'll be on board with them, and we're all right. <laughs> and we right. save our save ourselves. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Well, Rich, I appreciate you being the podcast, man. Okay. Thank you very much. Right on. I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC on LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast. And go check the video version of this out over on the YouTube channel. That is the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to Moving Iron LLC for everything Moving Iron related and to sign up for the Moving Iron Summit coming up here in Nashville, Tennessee, September 11th through the 13th. Uh, you can do that um, on the by clicking in the upper right corner on the 2023 Moving Iron Summit tab, and you'll get that information there as well. Take advantage of that $50 discount from the folks over at Axon Tire. So with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Rich Possum. Smooth smart folks. Out. Axon started out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. Imagine having 100 years of tire and wheel knowledge in your back pocket the next time you sell a piece of ag equipment. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800 657-4910 for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. No matter how you buy your ag equipment, whether it's from a dealer, an auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. TractorZoom has access to over $20 billion in heavy equipment sales data. TractorZoom's Iron Comps is the industry's trusted solution for transparent equipment values and auctionable pricing insights. This podcast is brought to you by Anvil AppWorks. The Dealer Connect CRMI app with integrated inventory management is an affordable Salesforce-based solution for your dealership. 
Create connected customer experience and transform how you work. Moving higher in the 21st century.